Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Less than one month on from Sir Jim Ratcliffe's investment in Manchester United being made public, Ineos have already signalled their intentions. Manchester United have released a club statement which confirms the appointments of Omar Barada as their new CEO. So Manchester United have managed to prize Omar Barada from Manchester City to spearhead the Ineos regime. But who is he? How significant has he been in building City's dominance? And what impact can he have at Old Trafford? Well, let's find out. I'm Ayo Akimurare. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. With us today, the man who broke the story, our football correspondent David Ornstein, reporter Adam Crafton, as well as Barcelona correspondent Paul Belus. Right. David, Manchester United have managed to secure Omar Barada's services. You even said in your piece it was a surprise. How much of a statement of intent is this from Ineos? Yeah, Io, the first thing to say is that United, Ineos, have been looking for a chief executive since the departure of Richard Arnold and Patrick Stewart has been holding the role on an interim basis. And so their search is not fresh or a surprise. Uh, however, the candidate that they uh, decided upon certainly is. And it feels to me from all the sort of calls and checks we've made that particular pursuit of Barada was very recent. And uh, they did it under the radar. So it appears to have been a, a very discreet and quick and slick operation, which you don't normally associate with Manchester United under the Glazer regime. But perhaps that's because it was driven by Ineos. And it really has sent shockwaves through the industry. I'm not saying our story, but the news of of the appointment, because Omar Barada, who is very, very highly regarded um, throughout the game, was so fundamental and core to the Manchester City uh, setup. And uh, He'd moved from Barcelona to City in 2011 and he's um, worked his way through various positions at City within the City Football Group um, as a wider multi-club model from the business side onto the football side. And now he's sort of doing the deals at City. He's alongside Chiki Bagiristain, uh, who's really the football expert and Omar Barada, uh, focusing on the numbers and the finances and the salaries and the commissions, and it's said to be very sharp on that. Also taking a, a big role on the academy side and, and women's football at City as well. And had come to this point where it's very sort of well thought of throughout an industry that is pretty catty normally. People often talk bad of each other, but the feedback we've had on him is, you know, overwhelmingly positive, I would say. He will take executive leadership on business and football. He will 
have a seat on the board of directors. He will report into ownership. We suspect he will build a team around him. There's no anticipation that he will start immediately. It's looking more likely in the summer. But this seems to be a poaching of the highest order and and one because of the proximity of the clubs that few if any of us saw coming yeah adam do you think there's a bit of a local pride here um, you know united prizing away one of city's very good assets yeah probably i mean like, i mean as as david said united have needed this well they've they've needed quite a few hires they need a chief executive um they'd need a sporting director possibly a head of recruitment who knows, possibly a head coach as well, you know, as they look to kind of build out this this football operation over the next few months or so since the, the Jim Ratcliffe, uh, I suppose, partnership shareholding has, has taken place, waiting for it to be fully ratified. I thought this one was always going to be interesting because we weren't quite sure where does CEO fall in terms of the responsibilities, right? Is it, if the Glazers are still the majority owners of the football club, but Jim Ratcliffe has almost got franchised out the sporting operations, where does a CEO fall in all of that? Is it a football operation thing or is it whatever the Glazers are still doing at the club, whether that's commercial, business development, all those kind of things? So it looks like this one does have reckless fingerprints on it, but kind of with the Glazers backing, you know, there was clearly a desire to hire, you know, that term kind of best in class and City, I mean, we'll get on to some of the other questions around this whole thing, but in principle, you know, the most successful club over the past decade. It's not like when a player sort of goes from City to United. I think some of these kind of more executive roles or backroom roles happens quite often because, you know, it's two clubs that can pay similarly well with, you know, similar opportunities, sometimes poach from one another. But it's a statement that United are relatively serious in terms of what they're trying to do. But I think there's also some really, really big questions that come out of this that we'll get onto. Yeah, Paul, I'm just interested from your perspective. I know you used to keep your eye on Manchester City and also you're out in Spain with Barcelona. What kind of man is coming into Manchester United? Because I read your piece and you get a sense of someone who's clearly very, very ambitious. Yeah, yeah, he comes across as a really ambitious man, but not like in a bad way. I think that everyone at City, like the perspective and, and the way that everyone got to know him uh, was to see him as a perfect operator, as a loyal executor. Yeah, basically a person that earned uh, the confidence and the trust of City's top executive because of himself. Um, he basically de- deserved it. As just David pointed out, he made his way up to City, like starting from a relatively low position, like in partnerships in a department which is not one of the biggest ones in the group, and he made himself like the biggest guy in the football operations. Basically now, if you spoke like to people like close to City or working at City or around City um, last year, they would have said easily that Omar Verrado was, was probably like the most influential man in terms of like all the activities related to the club because Ferran Soriano is more linked to the City football group. Chiqui Begristain is linked to sporting direction of the first team signings, but also like dealing with Pep. But then Omar is just not at the same level as Chiqui Begristain, like in the sporting di- uh, direction. And and this is just to take that a lot of agents that have dealt with City over the last years, they just conclude that this this looked like a fact that, that they were like, like in the same level. This is a big blow. This is a big blow because like a top man that was really trusted by a club within his run has a sense of a bit of a family-run club, Man City, like in some ways, because there's like 
so few people based in Manchester taking decisions like in the in the first team and Omar was one of them and to take one of those guys out of City and especially to bring it to United which has like a like a different edge it's a big move it's a big move of course yeah, I wonder why City would let him go. I mean, uh, did they have a similar policy um, as they do with players? If you don't want to be there, <laughs> happy to go. But this is such a it's such an instrumental part of what they're looking to build. And from the sounds of it, felt like there was space for him maybe a bit further up, you know, as the director uh, of Manchester City. I think that, like, without having all the details of his contract, but what you get from City when you ask about those sorts of things, not only with players, but with executive and um, academy directors leaving the club as well, you get the feeling that if they want to leave at some point, they will leave. And especially, like, if they are top guys or top personalities or top executive or players, just as uh, Omar Berrada. Or, like, in footballers, it has happened, like, with Gabriel Jesus, with Leroy Sané, just when they ask to leave, they tend to find a solution. And with Omar Berrada, I think that inside the club, they knew that he had the potential to be working for another instit- like a sporting institution. Like as David reported for The Athletic, I think last year, he had been poached and approached by NFL franchises. Like this was a thing that inside City, they, they just believed and thought that he would be ready to work. I don't know. Um, I'm just setting an example. But for Los Angeles Lakers here, or just for any institution that he would have aimed for, basically... And the fact that he signs for Man United, I guess that for some inside City, might be seen as like, uh, not not a betrayal because this is a hard word, but I think that, yeah, as I was saying, it has like a different edge going from City to United. And that's how some people at City will, will take it from Shaw. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. I'm just thinking from an Ineos perspective, Adam, coming into the club, wanting to make a statement. This is a big enough statement to say, do you know what? I've got connections. I I can pull some strings here to get some of the the best in class, as you said, coming to Manchester United. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was just looking at um, Omar Burada's LinkedIn page and it looks like someone who's been going through a job process. His kind of bio on LinkedIn has about 400, almost 400, 500 words at the moment, sort of detailing everything he's achieved at Man City, at Barcelona previously as well. So I think clearly, yes, United have lured him. But I think also, you know, I think we forget sometimes that Manchester United, the opportunity to be CEO of Manchester United is still a hugely appealing thing, particularly when I think the pitch probably at the moment is come and lead this cultural reset. It's a really difficult job, actually, because he's going to have to be almost the glue between the Glazers and the Ratcliffe Ineos operation. Now, that could get difficult at certain points, right? Like, let's see how that relationship between those two investment partners develop. But that's basically his job, to be that glue between two different regimes trying to achieve the goal of kind of restoring Manchester United. I thought the statement Man United put out on Saturday night was fascinating. The statement basically said, you know, this is one of the first steps, I'm paraphrasing here, but one of the first steps in putting football and performance back at the heart of what Manchester United do. I mean, extraordinary admission, you know, for United to basically be admitting, I'm not sure what they've been doing for the past 10 years, because football and performance haven't been at the heart of it. That's kind of what that statement was saying. This guy's going to lead us back to doing that. So is that something I could have imagined the Glazers saying before the Ratcliffe and Ineos came in? Probably not, to be honest. I think there are like some open questions around this hire. You know, you have the question of, One of the things we've seen with so many of these people that have left Brighton over the past year or so, year and a half, is when you're part of a winning machine, not a winning, a successful machine, as, for example, Brighton have been 
And then you see Graham Potter leave, or you see Paul Winstanley go to Chelsea, or you see uh, Moises Caicedo or Mark Cucurella. Uh, lots of different examples of people who leave very smoothly run organisations where from the outside they look like a genius because they're part of this really well-run, smooth organisation and then they go in somewhere else and they either shrink or disappear a little bit or they find it more difficult to really exert th- their abilities. And what we're not quite sure of yet with Omar Barada is, was he one impressive part of a well-oiled machine or is he individually really fantastic at what he does? And that's one of the things I think we're going to find out. And then the other question is, Manchester City have been accused of all sorts of things with regards to their commercial department for a very long time. And this guy was head of partnerships. And, you know, I know that some of the briefings seem to be that, you know, Omar Brada didn't have any involvement with all of this, but it can't, you can't simultaneously hold the position that Omar Brada is a genius that's been at the heart of Manchester City's operations at the same time as saying Omar Burada had nothing to do with anything that was going on at Manchester City. So I think these are some of the questions that are kind of open as we move forward. And I struggle to see how if, big if, if those charges of breaches are proven against Man City, how the the now future CEO of Manchester United isn't impacted in some way by that reputationally. Yeah, and Adam's if is crucial because as we always remind our audiences, City vehemently deny the charges and are adamant that they are going to uh, prove their innocence with irrefutable evidence. Just flipping over to one of Adam's other points on uh, Barada's track record, there's a really good piece by Paul on The Athletic which sort of details how uh, when he was at Barcelona where he joined from Tiscali on the sort of media and marketing commercial side he wasn't actually known by Ferran Soriano Chiqui Bagiriste and Pep Guardiola who were at Barcelona at the time he then joined Manchester City first in 2011 before any of them and they followed and he has kind of blended in to the inner sanctum some believe that he would have been a very strong candidate to succeed Ferran Soriano perhaps he was even being prepared for that the City have pushed back on that a little bit and there's no sign of Ferran Soriano leaving. And perhaps that was one of the um, considerations for Omar Barada. When is my time going to come to to get to that position? And simultaneously, you're being offered it by, you know, one of the biggest clubs in world football, a project that if it works, the rejuvenation of Manchester United on the pitch, the stadium and so much more besides, it has unbelievable potential. How often does this sort of position come around at that sort of club? Adam points to the United statement. Like, who was behind that? Do Ineos drive these sort of things now? Because in in the investment uh, documentation, it it sort of mentions how there's non-disparagement clauses. I don't don't know if that's the actual word. And this kind of uh, admission of putting football performance back at the heart is almost disparagement against the previous setup. So perhaps what we are seeing here is uh, an Ineos takeover. Ineos and Jim Radcliffe have ambition to be the outright owners of Manchester United further down the line. And maybe this is them saying, this is our man, this is our project. We're going to bring in more of our own people. We're going to shake things up because it's not been working. And 
you know, it's just one appointment. Um, it's not the cure to all ills. They're going to have to do a lot of work to rebuild United. This is a club that will be irrecognisable to what Omar Barada has experienced at Manchester City for so many years. But maybe it's the first step, as they describe it, in a journey that feels remarkable. I'm, I'm still in shock about it all. And let's see how the ramifications unfold. I guess, yeah, the the bigger question is from a Manchester United perspective is what will he bring to the role in comparison to previous CEOs, Adam? It depends, really. You know, Manchester United have had four CEOs, I suppose, in recent recent memories. So you had David Gill, who was very highly, I suppose, respected, but also had the benefit of working with the best manager ever at the football club in, in Sir Alex Ferguson. You then had the kind of the crazy Ed Woodward years where the club just made kind of careered from one mistake to another despite growing pretty well commercially from the football operations point of view it was a pretty unmitigated disaster culminating in the super league and him then resigning and then as well you have um richard arnold who came in after ed woodward his approach was actually to step back really from the football side of it and massively delegate football operations i think his view was you know i'm not an expert in this field of recruitment and relationships with agents and all of that kind of thing. So I'm going to delegate that to John Murtagh, the football director and the manager, Eric Ten Hag. But he then also had, you know, major reputational issues when you look at everything that happened with the Mason Greenwood situation in the summer and huge issues in terms of staff morale and and, and things like that. But also a very difficult job because, you know, he was kind of a I suppose, like the dreg ends of the um, sole glazer ownership. So not an easy job. So what do Manchester United now want from a CEO? You know, as they as I said, I think they want someone who is a glue between the two ownerships. I think they want someone who has experience in how you continue to grow a commercial property and a commercial asset, which, you know, Manchester United have been very good at, but they'll always be looking at other ways to do that. So there may be things that he can bring into that. But again, it's one of those of like, you almost have to look a little bit closer at what he was doing at Barcelona compared to Man City because we don't, until all of this stuff with Man City is is concluded, we don't know how real some of that commercial success has been at Manchester City. Obviously, they you know they say it's, it's completely real. But then that you also want some football expertise, right? I don't think it's sustainable to have a chief executive who basically says, I, I don't want anything to do with football, right? And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna work on the commercial and the numbers. Because there are points in deals where a CEO or sometimes even an owner has to get involved to get a deal over a line. Like that that's just the reality of it. So there'll be points where, you know, people like Farron Soriano or Daniel Levy or Paul Barber at Brighton at Tottenham get involved and, and get a deal over the line. I think that's something which maybe the guys can speak to a bit more, I think, with the Erling Haaland deal where Omar Burada had a role in that, has some experience with that. But equally, again, like how transferable is that experience? Because when he's at Man City, he had Pep Guardiola as manager. He had access to an, an amazing amount of money as well to get those deals over the line. You know, the, you know when, you, when those agent numbers come through each year on the forms, I think Erling Haaland's agents did pretty well out of that deal. So how much of that is... Omar Burada being amazing once he gets in a room and getting a deal over a line or how much of it is actually just the conditions of the club he was working at and I think that's what we're going to kind of learn more about 
Yeah, I was thinking about that, Paul. I mean, yes, of course, Pep Guardiola, but he was also technically at City at a time where they were still struggling to get some sort of commercial success as well or trying to convince people that this was a, a, a viable project, would you say? And back in the days, actually, it was like a big motivation, I think, for Omar Verrada, um, joining a club that had this margin of like growing and this perspective of like getting bigger. For the job that he was doing back then when he joined City, that was a big, yeah, that was a big reason basically to decided to switch his life and and just to move from Barcelona to to London. In that case, to start working for City. Um, but now, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with all the points that uh, Adam was making here. I think that part of the of the way that we have we will have to assess his job or, or we will have to deem if he has succeeded or not will be part of. I mean, will be made by the team that he assembles. I don't picture him. Without having like uh, more of a sporting director profile, just as Chikabigirstein was doing it, because I think that he did, this has been the model that he's been working in at City and that has been successful. And I think that it's like pretty much established that it's one of the ones that is um, being more used in the football industry. And I think that at Man United are, are, as well, he will have to. I mean, I was mentioning this this thing that at City that the club seems at some points run by sort of a family thing because. There are like not so many people involved like in big, big de decisions and Omar was one of them. United from the outside seems like a very different thing to us, to that basically. Um, I think that Omar will need to deal with an amount of politics that he wasn't used at City, which is something that he will have to, I don't know, fight against or he will, find, he will have to find his way through. But at the same time, uh, I also think that it's going to be not easy, but pretty doable to improve like the results or the standards that Adam has well explained at Manchester United over the last years but yeah now it's now it's a challenge for him not to be the guy who adapts himself into the position that the clubs that the club is requiring from him which is basically what he has been doing at City but to be the guy that calls the shot uh, assembles the team uh, make the make the decision when when they need a signing he makes a step forward just to meet with the player and to bring that personality in into the table so yeah that's going to be like an interesting move and 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 i think that possibly the main thing from which we are gonna say if he has been a success or not this is a paid advertisement from better health therapy online do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest we all carry around different stresses big and small and when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. 
Well, one thing that hasn't escaped the attention of Manchester United fans, and I'm sure many of you guys have seen this, are the historic tweets by Omar Barada. The one in particular discussing the 1999 Champions League final win over Bayern Munich. Something that Andy Mitten, over on Talk of the Devils, was quick to add his thoughts. They were the better team. It's true. And Man United were a mess. <laughs> Rather have a personality... If you're working for Man City, you want Man United to lose, don't you? Give me this rather than corporate, polished, um, PR-approved nonsense. And if he if he had a beef with United, good. I mean, I'm, he's referring to the tweet he made on February the 9th, 2013, saying, watching the Manchester United versus Bayern Munich 1999 uh, Champions League final on ESPN Classic, I had forgotten how much Bayern really deserved to win that match. I mean, well, if you're taking a jump at Manchester United, that's not the tweet you want dragged out, is it, Adam? No, but he's right. I mean, Andy's right as well. I mean, <laughs> anyone who's watched that game knows that's, that's what happened, and and United found a way to win. So yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about that. I always found it funny, like when these tweets from about twelve years ago come out, because everything was just so much less polished then on Twitter. It was like Wayne Rooney talking about Whitney and who he's picking up from work in the morning and all that sort of stuff. And clearly, Omar Barada fell into that category as well. So you know, fair play, fair play to him for that. I think you know, like if he does a good job, none of that stuff will matter. But I did, <laughs> I did find it first quite funny that sort of Man United's new CEO made his sort of first mishap as CEO minus 12 years ago. Um, so, so that feels like record time. I guess this sort of city background, more than the tweets, probably puts you on a bit of a back foot if you're in such a high-profile position. You've got to prove people wrong. I sense that will be more internal than external, as is often the way uh, with these things in this day and age. A lot of the social media reaction has been really positive. People have been sharing video clips of Barada talking at events about how he's run things at City in his career. There's a clip of he and... Cheeky Bagiristain sitting, looking in front of a screen, talking through salary controls and recruitment ideas and things like that. And and that's always going to be a hit with a lot of the public, especially when Manchester United have experienced a, a recruitment operation in the last 10 years or so that has... Uh, left a lot to be desired and has been quite quite heavily criticised. But internally, there you know there will need to be a lot of work, as we know, and restructuring and 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 points to prove. And 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 no doubt he will bring huge qualities and experience from his previous setup that United perhaps have been lacking. And to Adam and Paul's points about his his involvement in some of the things. Yeah, he was operating in a different stratosphere because of City's setup, his colleagues, the finances, the ownership involved. We did do quite a bit of reporting on his close involvement in the Erling Haaland transfer, for example, and and, and the way he negotiated with Mino Raiola, uh, who has since died, sadly, and that that deal came about with, you know, this person suddenly who was a commercial and marketing person at, at City, now absolutely in the centre of their recruitment operation. That, that really is quite a remarkable shift that wouldn't have placed him there at a, an organisation that is so hungry and ambitious and fiercely competitive and holds themselves to sort of high standards and is desperate to win and keep winning and win better if it was, wasn't merited. Um, not too dissimilar on, on the Jack Grealish transfer. And right up until recently, like the Echeverri deal, the young Argentine player who did so well at the Under-17 World Cup, who City have signed. You know, people say that right up until that deal, just before Christmas was, was done, that 
Barada was driving it and sort of even swung it maybe in, in City's direction with no hint of being on the way out of the club, which underlines that this has probably been really recent. And so the, the sort of ingredients are there, but, but Adam's right, the, the new environment and the maybe scrutiny and, and the, the points he will have to prove, perhaps some scepticism in there, are no small matter. Yeah, I think as well, the one thing we've not mentioned is obviously City, the City football group is this huge multi-club model, clubs all over the world. And Manchester United are kind of moving into that space because Ineos have clubs in, obviously, Nice in France. They've got Lausanne in Switzerland, United. It makes me wonder whether there are plans for Ineos to go sort of further into this this multi-club model as well. Um, I don't know. Obviously, we know they are multi-sport, that you've got the team Ineos cycling and they've got the um, they've got sailing enterprises. So, that, you know, there's different things going on there that clearly he is adept at working within that multi-club group. I think David's right that there'll be kind of, in, I think there'll be a bit of internal anxiety at Manchester United. You know, you've already got a new, basically a new owner to a certain extent. You've got this presence of Dave Brailsford, who's the director of sport Ineos. You've also got the Jean-Claude Blanc, who's kind of the CEO of the Ineos group overall, the sports Ineos group overall, and Jim. And then also you've got this new CEO coming in. But, you know, Man United have, you know, this kind of leadership team that I think maybe some members of that leadership team would have been thinking, could I have been up for this job, right, as well? You know, that's always the way that companies work. And, and then also, there's big hires to come in the summer. You've got, what are Manchester United going to do about a new sporting director? What does that mean for John Mercer, the football director? I think Eric Ten Hag has a huge amount to prove ahead of the summer. The head of the, um, the, the head coach of the Man United's women's team. I was at Stamford Bridge yesterday and saw Man United lose 3-1 at Chelsea. And, and the, the, the fans of the women's team are pretty unhappy at the moment with Mark Skinner. So there's big, big decisions to be made across the football club. And, and it'll be interesting to see like how much Omar Baradu is able to do. I mean, officially, he probably can't do anything for six months or so. But Man United have some big calls to make. And it's hard to imagine that he won't be subtly consulted in the way that people are but aren't during these periods of kind of notice and, and, and things like that. Some could say United are getting ahead of themselves, right? Get the appointment made. He can start thinking about it. So, you know, by the time he's ready to start his job, he's already made his notes and they're good to go, which is very different to what we've been seeing uh, with a very recent Manchester United. Yeah, what United uh, or their fans seem to be very excited about is how well they've moved in this process. It, it was pretty ruthless and they've come out with a candidate and let's reserve judgment on how it's going to go, but has the ingredients that people, the public, the club wanted and and seemed to need. So that's a good initial sign. Um, It suggests that Ineos mean business. So many decisions took so long under full Glazer reign, whether it was new contracts, player signings, uh, academy senior moves, day-to-day stuff as well. It all had to go up to sort of Joel Glazer and come back. There were time difference issues it was not best practice and and this early step suggests that they're on to a, a slightly better thing at least from a process perspective but I'm really intrigued by what happens next because all the talk so far has been about a sporting director Dan Ashworth Paul Mitchell all these names floating around heads of recruitment who's it going to be and there was an assumption that Jean-Claude Blanc after it was announced he would take a seat on the board, would be chief executive. But we were starting to hear, no, actually, that 
they'll go for somebody else and it's going to be the first thing they do. And now it's the first thing they've done. What happens with the other roles? Because Omar Barada wasn't a voice in the room before Sir Dave Brailsford, Jim Ratcliffe and Jean-Claude Blanc were looking for this sporting director. There were countless reports of shortlists and things. But if you're empowering this chief executive, he'll have his own ideas. He'll have his own connections. He'll look maybe into different areas. He might not like some of those that were on the initial uh, radar. And it could shape up very differently to how we were initially being led to believe, admittedly through sort of speculation more than concrete facts. And I just wanted to throw it over to Paul. Do you, do you think that Omar Barada has the sort of power in his skill set, the the authority, the decisiveness, the cojones, as some like to describe it, to go into this operation and say, I'm going to pick these people, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to it might not be easy. There might be awkward conversations inside, but that's what we need to do. That ruthless streak that many have been looking for at United. I think it's basically the challenge that, that he was sort of looking for. He has the aura of being like a silent person, like in power, like a silent decision maker, like, like a person that from the background makes himself like feel important, basically, like in meetings, like a lot of like... Asians from City players or former City players when David broke the story on uh, Omar Verrada basically texted me like saying like is this true is this going to happen and they all of them like highlighted like really how important Omar Verrada was like in, in their decision to deal with City or just to proceed like with all the negotiations that they were in so this makes me think like the way that uh, external people valued him Makes me think that he has the ambition as the and and like the decision just to make that step. And if you look back at his career, he's as as you you were like saying like at the start of it, he has like the desire just to keep progressing and just to keep doing more and more and more and more. And basically, I think that he has everything uh, for that. But that doesn't mean that um, it will be successful or not. As we were saying, like it will depend on the team that he assembles let's see i don't have a clue if he's going to rely on people that he's been working at city if he's going to look for new profiles but certainly this is gonna be the key of it and i would be like really surprised as i was saying if there's no like work like in a similar system that he had at city with the double act with chicky baggy stein taking into account how successful it was like at all in all terms in all departments so let's see how it goes but i think that he has the character for it well, I was just thinking, Adam, you mentioned it briefly, but I'm, I'm just thinking Eric Ten Hag, isn't he not coming into the last year of his contract into the, after the summer? Like someone taking over a soap opera, do you kill off the main character? <laughs> do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. For the, of the series, you know, just, just to make a statement to say, look, I've got the kahunas, as, as David's saying, you know, let, let's, let's start afresh under my regime. I think that's going to be really interesting. I think there is an option, isn't there, David, to, to extend. I'm not sure if that's just one side or whether both sides have to have to agree to that so that could be triggered that would be quite non-committal in some ways you know just to trigger the option rather than to do a whole new contract I'm really interested to see what Manchester United do whether they kind of just view the first half of this season as you know there's been so much going on at the club is it a real fair reflection of Ten Hag's ability as a coach you know when you bring in the injuries and the off-field the off-field issues and the 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 situations that have surrounded uh, Greenwood and Anthony and all these different things that have kind of happened. Um, but then you also bring in Ten Hag's recruitment. We don't want to sort of go into all of that now. But those are all the things that will be swilling around the heads of 
you know, people like Jim Ratcliffe and Dave Brailsford and now Omar Barada as well. And I think basically for the next few months where United are out of Europe, you know, they've basically got a game a week for most of the rest of the season. Okay, they've got the FA Cup as well. But he's going to be getting players back fit. He has to demonstrate over the next few months that his team have a style of play and that they can consistently win matches. Because I think if they don't, and if the performances continue the way they are, which is pretty shapeless, lacking direction, purpose poor defending, conceding goals at set pieces very cheaply, conceding the same kinds of goals from pullbacks. I think, you know, it's hard to make a case, certainly to give Ten Hag a new contract, but maybe he clings on for a bit longer. Paul, has he appointed managers in the past, sacked managers in in the City setup since he's he's been on the football side? Uh, and, and also, sorry to go back to my sort of point about other potential arrivals, but, you know, he was... The, the right-hand man to Chiki Bagiristain, or by the end they were sort of working hand in glove. It will be fascinating to see if Manchester United look for a, a similar relationship. Who is going to be United's Chiki Bagiristain that, that works alongside Barada if they do try and replicate that? I haven't been told that he's been the one to pull the trigger like in managers. I've been told that he's been the one, for example, like to assemble like the some part of the structure of the women's team. Um, so in terms of like setting up the whole infrastructure sh- surrounding a team, he's been there. I don't think that he had like the capacities to, on a sporting level, as I was saying, pull a trigger. Um, but now he will have to. And I agree that it's going to be like interesting to see which is like his chick bigger stand because uh, as I was saying, I think that he will definitely go for that, go for like more, more like a sporting profile of a sporting di- director. And yeah, it's going to be like, yeah, really interesting to see who is the man that Man United uh, trust in, um, knowing all this situation with the manager, because like this bond with the manager and the sporting direction has been a strong point at City. You you cannot understand City's success with like this close r- relationship that Chiki has always had with Pep. And it's something that United or Omar surely will try to replicate. And this is like more of a complicated thing to do, possibly at United for the amount of politics that you have to deal with. Um, so let's see how it goes. I don't know if, and that's just an idea that just popped up into my mind now that we were like talking about managers and and just everything. But if you, knowing how very well admired was Ro- Roberto De, De Zerbi at Man City, I don't know. It's just like an idea. I don't, of course, I don't have any background on on this, but um, I don't know if it could be like a good idea just to start like a new project with your man, with your manager, and the, and try to create this tough bond between the sporting di- direction and the coaching staff. Add another permutation to the mix, Paul. Yeah, really interesting. <laughs> I'll leave it there then. All right. Sorry about that. That that just was a hot potato for everyone. <laughs> All right, Paul. Thanks for that grenade of information right at the end uh also thank you guys so much for joining us please remember to rate and review the podcast as you have already uh if you're enjoying it let us know also in the meantime you can also subscribe to the athletic for two dollars or two pounds a month by heading to theathletic.com forward slash football pod thank you all so much for listening we're back tomorrow you've been listening to the athletic football podcast The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.